0: Um, 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 I'm totally ready. Okay, welcome to. I was not ready. Welcome to the. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Like, I frog in my throat.
1: Behold, the sword of power,
2: Excalibur.
0: To the Oh Gosh Oh Golly Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and Nothing But Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, we're drinking and dancing on the faces of bigoted American spies in Excalibur number 103. <laughs> 10- after the bomb, in which we're still contending with an onslaught of onslaught repercussions, and a delusional Pete Wisdom thinks he earned Kitty. Excalibur number 102 was originally published in October 1996, and the creative team is Warren Ellis on writing, Casey Jones on pencils, Rob Haynes, Jason Martin, and Scott Koblish on inks, Arion Lenshock and Malibu Color on colors, Richard Starkings and Comicraft on letters, and Matt Idealson, Suzanne Gaffney, Jay Gardner, and Paul Tetrone on editing. Detroit, you <laughs> back to ongoing coverage of the worst couple in comics and I'm somehow not referring to the one where they are foster siblings but we'll get to that but who are we (laughs) starting with myself I am Dr. Ed Vapard you know the drill superheroes and gender and sexy stuff in popular and academic spots including the Twitter account Sequential Scholars where Andrew and I are probably maybe um, still revisiting Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey's wonderful Young Avengers series I am also Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager and in that capacity I can appreciate why he doesn't want to go home again what with the people trying to kill him every time he does, but the missed narrative opportunities do make me sad, but we'll talk about that. I'm joined as always by Mav. How are you weathering the end of Onslaught?
2: Hello and welcome to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop- Wait, am I at the right show? I might... I get confused. So hard cause... to sometimes. <laughs> well, like, so last week... As we record in time, podcast time travel is confusing. But as we record last week, I got confused because Anna was on my other show. And like, it kept screwing me up because I forget. I, I You know, I'm, I'm basing purely what I'm doing based on who I'm talking to. But this week, we'll have a guest from my other show on this show. And oh, it's hard. I'm, I'm not that that, that smart. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> no, I'm doing okay. I'm, just, I was, I'm um, confident listening.
0: that you'll notice that we're talking about Excalibur.
2: We'll see. You know, <laughs> I mean, are are we talking about Excalibur this issue? Are we? <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, are, are you really willing to push for that? No, I'm doing all right. I, you know, it's an easy day. It's summer. It's summer vacation. I, you know, I I am teaching a, I'm teaching a summer school class, but I literally only have two students in it. So like on days that I work, it's also kind of a yeah. I just taught a two hour class, two hour fifteen minute class to two people and. As a friend wow. of mine said, is it really a class? Or is it more of just doing a podcast? I'm like, it's kind of doing a podcast <laughs> 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 with two of my students that no you one gets to on hear other than the yeah. So that's how I'm doing.
0: Did you actually introduce yourself in that onslaught of things? I don't even remember. I think
2: I said, uh, my name, hello. I don't know. <laughs> Usually, my, the, hello, my name is Matthew.
0: I think it was part <laughs> of the Vox Pop introduction. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, with that. yeah, yeah. People <laughs> know who we are by now. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's what I mean. It's it's like literally this is 120 episodes. I know, in. I know. I,
0: we're like 118 episodes in, I think. So you know, we're not new. <laughs> and like, again,
2: 118 of this, and like there's 280 some odd episodes of my other show. Like yeah, whatever. So, you, you
0: know, know. How, how does anyone in the world not already know who you are? It's ridiculous. Exactly. <laughs> Andrew, um, have you managed to perhaps at least sneak in a beverage, if not some total decompression since we last chatted?
1: Yeah, I got a green tea with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: good. <laughs> um,
1: I am Dr. J. Andrew DeMan. I'm a lecturer at St. Jerome's University, which is on the campus of the University of Waterloo, which is a difficult place to work right now. And I was on campus today. But we're doing good, and I think we're, we're showing some good leadership, and I think nobody's, nobody's backing down at all, which is kind of nice to see. Um, when I'm not doing that, I am co-project lead of Sequential Scholars, where right now I'm playing a lot with video editing for our YouTube channel and feeling like that dork in AV class who has to use all the bells and whistles in a video, regardless <laughs> of, of how out of place that is, and it's wonderful. <laughs> and I did, um, I, I did a transition for a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles last Ronin video which is a video shot of the New York City skyline from a ferry that then fades into an overlay of that exact skyline within a Ninja Turtles comic. And I'm really proud of it. And I did that for an audience of, at this point, 42 human beings. And I'm still (laughs) really proud of it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot of fun. When,
2: when Hell I was in, yeah! When I was in high school, I worked for our local cable access channel. It was owned was owned by um, our school. It was owned in conju- conjunction with the school board, and I actually worked there. And I remember when we got an Amiga video toaster and. Uh. You know, we were not allowed to like use any of the stupid transitions for on the air because who wants to watch a city council meeting where like a dancing ballerina girl <laughs> just twirls, twirls between things? But being able to build those was just a dream come true. And we would just sit around and like, look at this one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it Um, anyway so off track already let's get to our guest Um, we are so lucky to be joined this week by a marvelous returning guest who last joined us back when we were lamenting having Ron Lim rather than Alan Davis for a single issue of this series those were the days the pod is privileged (laughs) to welcome back Monica Giraffo welcome Monica
3: Thank you so much for having me back. I'm I'm so happy to be here. We're so thrilled to
0: have you. It's been ages. You last joined us for like what issue was that? Saturday.
2: Last joined us Saturday. uh, (laughs)
3: Well, (laughs) yes.
0: You last joined Mav like on Saturday, but you last joined this podcast, which I'll remind Mav is oh gosh, oh golly, oh wow. Thank you for like. Excalibur 10 or 11? I don't know, it was the New York Adventure one. Anyway, let's do your bio and then we'll catch up with you a little bit more Monica Giraffo is a PhD student at UCLA's Theatre and Performance Studies program. Her research utilizes dress as a site to explore the construction of identity the spread of subculture and popular culture and representations of materiality across visual and material culture especially through superhero comics and their film and television adaptations. Her work as a fashion historian has been published and presented all over the dang place and her work as a costumer has been part of productions for Netflix and AMC. So we already did your comics origin story, Monica, but I know you've had a bunch of professional stuff going on. So let's just like catch up with what you've been up to. What are some of the ongoing projects you've been mired in lately?
3: Well, you know, I really have to give some credit to Oh Gosh, Oh Galia oh Wow, because it introduced me to math. And then Mav had me come uh, guest on Vox Popcast, and then Mav asked me to stay as a host on Vox Popcast. So she, she kept coming back. Yeah, <laughs> it couldn't get rid of me. So that's like the big thing that I've been up to, and uh, I love it. <laughs> and it it really is such a joy for me because it it helps me work through and verbalize a lot of the uh, new work that I'm doing as a first-year PhD student at UCLA. I have learned what performance studies is, which is hilarious given that I applied for a performance studies program um, without having ever done performance studies before. I have now taught an entire year worth of theater history and learned what that was. Um, So, you know, I, I I did a TED Talk in the past two years. But I think that that's kind of, it's been a lot of school. Um, It has been less, I really underestimated the amount of time that I would be able to do extra things so it is yeah. basically school and Vox Popcast, and that is all you're going to get out of me. <laughs> it's that a miracle I had time for this. <laughs> no, I,
0: I know, and we're so grateful. Uh, I don't know. Well, I'm scared to ask you my next question now, because I was going to ask you about the state of your comics reading or if you're reading anything or if you have read anything lately that has intrigued you, but your answer might be that you simply haven't had time, and if so, that's fine.
3: I mean, That honestly has been uh, – my comics reading has been pretty lax as of late, Mostly because a lot of my work has been um, thinking through the real world applications of some of the concepts that I've been trying Mm. to explore through comics. So I I know when I was on last time, I talked quite a bit about the fact that I'm interested in what unstable molecules actually are when it comes to comic book super suit fashion. And so it's actually led me down a pretty large path of I've been doing a lot of Synthetics, uh, chemical engineering history. And I've been reading a lot of studies that are produced by people like DuPont and NASA about um, mm. fabrics in space and about the new technologies in terms of 3D printing and nylon powders and things that we use to spray as superhero suits get more sophisticated for real world live action adaptations. So there has been a lot of thinking about how do we make super suits in the real world out of real fabrics which then takes a lot of time away from being able to read any comics themselves so it does mean that I've kept up with a lot of superhero media and a lot of superhero movies but not a lot of getting to read the things that I really love which is also why I was really Mm. excited to come back because then it's an excuse to read some comics
0: (laughs) oh I know I mean honestly Monica unless I'm reviewing something or I'm doing it for a podcast I read very few comics these days either but uh well let me ask you about that a little bit more than like are you intrigued by what's kind of going on with the super suits and the live action stuff? I mean, I see people from complaining from time to time about the use of nanotech in the movies these days, like everybody's got those like suits that you can kind of like put on like a circuit board with like the flip of a switch. But is there anything that's been going on with that in any of the live action stuff that intrigues you?
3: One of the things that's most interesting to me is sort of, I noticed that there's a real dichotomy of which what I'm going to call is essentially, um, we are trying to work out our cultural anxieties of doomsday prepping, whether that be uh, for space exploration, or whether that be because we're now really worried about the Uh, the impacts of having ruined the environment over the past 50 years or because we're no longer so concerned about nuclear destruction and we're much more concerned about environmental destruction and all of this idea of what do we do with all of these knowing that the earth is not going to be long-term sustainable and so a lot of these clothes end up being conversations about how could you sustain life somewhere else and the problem is that a lot of the materiality of these garments isn't actually something that's going to be able to sustain life anywhere other. Like a lot of these clothes are still speculative properties in which uh, the materiality still hasn't actually caught up with the realities of what science would actually need it to do. And so there's something really interesting to me about these suits look like they're easier to move in. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it seems much more conceivable that science has actually been pushed further because they're less bulky and it's like George Clooney always gives this like he has a very famous quote where like they prop him up and he just goes like I'm Batman and then they yell cut and like and and because he literally can't move um or can't it's very famous that like Michael Keaton couldn't turn his head in the original Batman cowl and so we Mm -hmm. think that science is getting better because these suits look easier to move in Or as late as the third Iron Man movie, the entire bottom of the suit was still CGI. They hadn't yet figured out how to make a lightweight, articulate enough armor for Robert Downey Jr. to actually be running around in the way that they have now. So the material technology of making things that look better on screen for humans to move in is much better. But then when you talk to conservators who work within Hollywood or who work within somewhere like the Costume Institute that are dealing with these like very fragile 3D, because 3D printing is existing on the bottom of of sneakers and everything now too, right? It's that all of these materials are also melting and ripping apart almost immediately. Like they do not exist until they can't last until a sequel, even like this is mm-hmm. technology that looks futuristic, but is actually getting worse in terms of longevity of use. And, and so there's something very interesting happening about this dichotomy that's going to end up becoming some very large part of my dissertation about the fact that we are performing for an apocalypse that we can't survive. <laughs> that, it, that is very fascinating to me.
0: Oh, yeah. I found myself thinking, that is very fascinating, and you described it so beautifully. I found myself thinking a lot about, I don't know, I was thinking about Star-Lord's mask and respirators this week, since we've been having, you know, the smoke stuff going on. And even since the first incident, like, two weeks ago, I've been noticing the reporting on it changing, where now, rather than kind of being alarmed about it, people are kind of used to it. And
2: I don't think we've mentioned it, you should give context. You're talking about, because... The way we tape and when it will actually come out. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. As we tape this, Canada's on fire, like all of yeah. Canada.
0: <laughs> Which, again, I realize that other places, including where Monica lives, deals with this a lot more often than we do. But here, like I've never experienced something like this in my life. So it's a big difference and nobody knows what to do. But I've noticed that the news stories for this cycle of it. So we had sort of an event two weeks ago. And then this week it was hanging around all week again. Just a hot, horrible week with all my windows closed. And I don't have an HVAC system in my 100 year old farmhouse. So the not much I can do and you had like the news stories were just like well is it time to get like a respirator and is this the solution And I was like oh god like it's only been a month of this and this is like the place that we're going to (laughs) with it like we're all gonna get Star Lord masks and we're just gonna go around like this from now on I'm like no I am not willing to like throw in the towel on this like climate catastrophe but um But yeah, I don't know what you were saying was so fascinating, Monica, in terms of like the simulacra of that, you know, our presumption that things are becoming more technologically advanced because they appear that way in something like a superhero movie and yet... (laughs) the reality of those costumes is so disappointing. That's fascinating. I can't wait to, to, to read more about that. Okay, uh, I would actually love to keep talking about that, but let's talk about this Excalibur issue because I want to get your first impressions of that as well. So let's do an issue summary and get into it, and I'll come right back to you, Monica. So I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. We'd never say we earned you because you are people, not property. Just to prove how not misogynistic we are, here's a plot summary. I'm going to be hammering Pete pretty hard today. <laughs> (laughs) He really pissed me off in this issue. It's just not a good showing for Pete Excalibur number 102 opens with the team dispersed Lawyer, Kurt, Brian, and Megan are on the Muir Island station discussing the disappearances of famous superheroes during the onslaught event that Excalibur still isn't part of Meanwhile, Kitty and Pete are at an eating and drinking establishment on the mainland getting breakfast Pete's eating of which utterly grosses out both Kitty and me And yet, she somehow doesn't break up with him Over breakfast, they read about Excalibur in the newspaper and ponder whether their current good favor with the British government will continue Given the renewal of anti-mutant sentiment in the United States States. Elsewhere, Rain Colossus and Amanda are attempting to track down Margali Spardos in the German countryside. They search Margali's former caravan to no avail and retreat in fright when they hear a deranged cackling echoing throughout the forest. I do not understand what happened there, but we can talk about it. Back at Muir Island, the British government are taking away some of the mutants being held at the island, including Spoor. Elsewhere again, after breakfast, Kitty and Pete are attacked by U.S. government men, warning they are not welcome in the States. After easily putting the men in their place, Pete and Kitty take the gagged leader back to Muir Island, where they hand him over to the British government security folks claiming him to be a supervillain called the Crimson Goat Gouger. Once everyone is back at the base, Kitty and Pete recant their tale to Moira, who informs them Charles Xavier has been taken into police custody. Pete and Kitty declare it's a perfect time to go to the pub and one by one, the others follow. So, Monica, with everything you've got going on, I would not expect you to have read the hundred odd issues in between this one and your last appearance. But, um, I am curious about your first reactions getting dropped into a very different era of Excalibur. So, I'll keep it broad what if anything interested you about this issue and what are you looking forward to talking about
3: so one of the things that I was most struck by between the the first time that you had me on as a guest and now was this like the US versus UK like dichotomy that seems to be happening Mm. and I know that that was something that I talked a bit about the difference in US versus British uh, fashion and there's less of that this time but there's still that very much the, the UK does things different in, in these here parts, like <laughs> that, that seems yeah. to be really hammered down in, in this particular issue. And, and so that was something that maybe I wasn't expecting there to be quite so much doubling down on, especially because when I think of 1996, I think of the death of Princess Diana and I think about how obsessed we are all are, as a U.S. culture, about Britain in general, and it doesn't really feel like a foreign country the way that this issue wants to position it as being, like, an entirely different mode of life and culture. That's interesting
0: that that's what stood out. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the mutant metaphor stuff related to that, because there's some potentially interesting but doesn't really go anywhere stuff going on about like oh we treat mutants different in the UK than in the US or do we and we're not sure but yeah so I definitely want to come back to that. Uh, Let me pick up some first impressions from the guys and we'll get into it a little bit more. Math, how are you feeling about this one?
2: Have you ever quit a job (laughs) and like one of them their jobs that requires you to give two weeks or four weeks notice or something like that and you get so you go in you've got your new job you give your you, you give your two weeks notice is enough i've had jobs which have required four weeks notice that's uncomfortable for everybody so let's just say it's one of those jobs where you're like all right i'm quitting my last day is a month from now Getting four weeks' notice it means we've got to do four weeks where I'm going to sit around with you people and pretend that I care and that I'm not leaving. I don't care, you know, I don't care, everyone knows I don't care. I just <laughs> want to be gone. I'm right, done right. emotionally. <laughs> I I, emotionally I don't work here anymore now emotionally I've already left and I'm on to the next project but let's just go through the motions and make this as painless yet awkward for everyone as possible and that's what this issue is because that's where Warren Ellis is in his life (laughs) like he's done I was checked for for the
0: first for the first half of that map I was like are you talking about Pete or are you talking and then I was like oh I bet you're talking about Ellis I got there I got there
2: yeah he is I mean and that's and that's the story like there's I understand it better now in retrospect. So one thing that helps understand it is um, I've read the next issue, so I know where it's going. And this will come up in a little bit when you because there was something you said you didn't understand in the other thing. And I actually know what they were going for. But it is so haphazardly and lackadaisically done because he does not care. This is the essence of, you know, what are you going to do? Fire me? I'm already gone and that's and that's where this issue is and I I mean I don't know how to feel about it beyond that because you know there's stuff that like oh that they're sort of out of character there but whatever somebody new is going to be writing this in two months you know okay (laughs) that's how it feels that's how I felt the entire time I was reading it this time I I think I probably was aware of it last time you know that's that's where we're at
0: all right all right i'm at least coming with the energy to be angry at p wisdom which you know i'll definitely bring it be bringing to the combo as i said but uh, andrew how are you feeling about it
1: i don't disagree with math i'm warmer on it for kind of a mistake that ellis is arguably making because in my eyes he's actually trying to build some cool character dynamics here i think he is kind of i really wish he had done that earlier (laughs) you know what i mean the thing that i've been i've been complaining about like he's establishing some relationship things between um captain britain and megan I like the way that he shows Kitty's growth a little bit here, uh, her Mm -hmm. increasing dickishness for lack of a better term, but like in a really kind of mature way. I I like the buildup of Margali as an ominous villain, as opposed, I mean, even though she's not actually going to be that, but spoiler. (laughs) Um, But like, that wasn't there when we did the onslaught arc it's just like haha i'm Margali. oh i'm defeated you know what i mean like like the, the, <laughs> they, they didn't he, he didn't do the investment in the characters and now like his math said he's on his way out the door and he's like i'm going to build up these characters and give them tension and conflict and angst and then bye bye so i don't know I, I i feel like this would be a good issue 10 issues earlier if that makes
0: sense mm, yeah okay well is the laughter supposed to be belasco or it's
2: belasco oh yeah yeah for sure. It's blessed. But
0: like, why Who, would they run You know, Glasgow, run- famous for laughing. I I know. <laughs> I know. Fun. So there's that, but like also, why would they run away? Wouldn't that be like we because should probably they're investigate bad that? Superheroes.
2: Yeah. Because yeah. Rain, Colossus, and Amanda are bad superheroes, according to according to um Ellis, apparently. That I find infuriating. That entire scene, which is like cause that's what it is, and I only know because I've read the next issue. And by the way, spoilers for next week's show. It barely matters there. Like it, It's it's a missed opportunity because he does not care because he's quitting his job and he does not care and he's just wrapping up loose ends and this is not a loose end that he cares about. There are other loose ends that he does care about, it's Kitty and, and Pete's relationship, fine, but this is not a loose end he's ca- he cares about so he's just like, okay, we're going to go look for Margali because we have to because it doesn't make sense for us not to and then the second we hear a noise, we're going to run away like we're not fucking superheroes.
0: That's what, but you can just do the tease of the thing where, like, they go and the caravan's empty and they're like, well, there's nothing else to do here because it's empty. And then we no. see, like, a mysterious figure no. in the background. Like, they're instead wimps. there's, like, laughter and they're just like, oh, we're scared. I'm like, you've Spooky, met bye. him before. <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> Like given everything yeah. they just dealt with, why would they be bothered uh-huh. by this? I just literally I, these are weird. people who
2: have traveled across the universe. <laughs> they've has been, been to Lembo, they've
0: been to hell, they've <laughs> been to space. Yeah. Why would they be bothered by this? Nope. I don't understand.
2: Nope. Laughing's creepy.
0: <laughs> it just seems like you introduce that element, and then it's like now you have every reason in the world to investigate this situation more, and yet they do now, the opposite of that.
2: It's dangerous. People could get it hurt. Just,
0: don't understand it was just like an unforced error you know Uh it's like one of those plot choices that's so confusing because it doesn't make sense and it just that really did bug me i was like the fact that i didn't get it until like we talked about it and i was like oh i get it it's Uh belasco but they don't know
2: that they just know know. they heard creepy laughing so i'm going to run away as though i don't have amanda is a literal sorceress And, like, she's here.
1: Ideally suited to fight Velasco.
2: Right. And she's here to save her mother. But there's laughing, so bye.
0: fuck that pissed me off <laughs> sorry that was worth a swear alright alright I gotta let it go let's talk about some other stuff um, Monica given your expertise we gotta ask you about fashion a little bit both in terms of what we have kind of going on in this issue in terms of some of these I don't know like we don't have a ton of it going on in this issue but I want to ask you about it anyway but I also wanted to ask you whether you had thoughts on Kurt's new costume that he debuted a few issues before this I ideally wanted to have you on for an issue that spotlighted the costume we on both sides had sort of some scheduling issues so we weren't able to do that but I'd still love to ask you about it because we had some fun conversations about it at the time had you had you seen that new Nightcrawler costume before or was this your first time encountering it
3: no this was a very first viewing so oh, wow. you are receiving um raw impressions we'll, we'll put it that way <laughs> appropriate
0: for that costume
3: <laughs> you know it's just like a giant arrow, and that was a joke. Look at my penis. Thank you, thank you.
2: <laughs> you have not um, heard it. time recording. You have not heard the episode where we discussed this. But keep, con- but continue, please. Validate everything that I said.
3: <laughs> um, I so I need to out myself in that uh, one of my favorite childhood movies is Labyrinth. Which ah, means... Yes. Um,
2: the story of David Bowie's dick, yes. Yeah, yes.
3: Exactly. I, mean, um, <laughs> I, I knew exactly what you meant by being <laughs> that up, <yes. laughs> And I feel the same way about this costume as I feel about David Bowie in those tight, tight pants. Mm-hmm. Which is that I am having some form of a sexual awakening I was not prepared for. <laughs> <laughs> In which like is it a costume or is that you know like is it a bulge? Like I can't see anything else. <laughs> yeah. I know that you want me to talk about some other no, part of no, this no, costume, but No, no this is this. Is... No, no, this, is it. this is it. The whole costume <laughs> is just penis.
0: I guess I was sorta to I was like, everything I say sounds like a sex joke now to drill down on this. Um, I was going to ask you about, <laughs> I don't know because we had sort of a conversation A few episodes ago about The unusualness of this costume For a male superhero and I was wondering If you had thoughts about that aspect of it Like does it strike you As something that is intentionally erotic I mean the dick is there And yet there's such a disavowal Of eroticism for male superheroes so much of the time That I was distrustful of like You know whether it was perceived as such And we did have comments on Twitter like several people were were like I didn't see it, <laughs> and I'm like, really? okay. Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> like, but like, Where's... you know, but you have to take into account that like a lot of people were reading this when they're kids, right? And like, I... they might be revisiting it as adults. Yeah, I was an adult, so yeah. Yeah, I was. A, so I was. Is... A, I
2: mean, I was. A, I was in college. I was. A, I was an adult. I was a young adult, mm-hmm. but I was an adult when I when I read it.
0: But still, oh, I mean, like, I did go... it? Yeah, go ahead, Monica.
3: I'm gonna be honest. Like, and and maybe. Anna this is just because I know that um you and I share a common love of the Marvel swimsuit special which you know <laughs> was released prior to this issue mm-hmm. and I mean, Colossus is in the same issue, and I feel like Colossus himself, by the 90s, has just become a giant dick joke, right? Like, there there is a part of this where mm-hmm. I'm like, what do you mean you don't see it? And what do you mean it's unusual for male superheroes? I think because I've just been staring at Colossus be Colossus for so long that I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you know, it's kind of nice that it's not just him now. That, we're, that yeah. we're getting, you know, more dick? Yeah, more dick is good. <laughs> (laughs)
2: Um, (laughs) more dick is good that's the isolation you want
3: (laughs) yeah uh which is really funny because because i'm gay now um but i'm gonna stick by you were like anna what's happened to you in the past two years and i'm like do we tell the listeners i'm gay now but i guess you know we're here and i'm still gonna (laughs) stick by (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's More never, dick a, is ba- good. never More a bad dick de- is good. <laughs> <laughs> it's never a bad time to declare either of those things <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know i mean in terms of like an impossible garment that costume bothers me a little bit because i find the believability of it difficult it just doesn't seem like a costume that he could move in in the way that he needs to move in and that was like part of my issue with it but yeah I because don't know. that sash I don't know. is
3: quite large right like the, my first mm-hmm. thought was like that has got to be flapping around everywhere mm-hmm. getting in the way like i know
0: that's what i thought
3: too <laughs> and that bothers oh, me i'm sash, like I'm- not the
2: penis <laughs> <'Cause it's both. laughs>
3: no that penis looks tight that sash looks flappy as all get out <laughs> I am so sorry, mom and dad, if you ever listen to this episode.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) We're not. Well, we're not sorry. I'm happy to revisit that convo about the costume because we're not going to have it too much longer in this book. Kurt is going to go back to his classic look before long. Pacheco tried to make that costume happen ever so briefly. Anyway, um, let's talk about the fashion in this issue in particular, (laughs) then, Monica. Like, did you find anything interesting about the choices in this issue? And, of course, saying that you didn't find anything interesting is also a possible answer.
3: And... You know, how did you know that my answer was going to be? Oh, I don't know. Absolutely. I don't absolutely know. nothing interesting.
0: <laughs> it's not as though we talk a little before the pod or anything. This is the first time we've ever talked about it. And there definitely isn't any notes or planning involved in this podcast.
3: I mean, it's a lot of button up shirts now, isn't it? Hmm. Um, and I, I have had conversations with artists who, um, in terms of, how do you choose the, the street clothes that you're going to draw each character in? And a lot of them will say some version of, well, you know, the time constraint of actually putting out this issue meant, button-up shirt, there you go. Like, you just kind of slap it on and, and keep going. And that's that's a little bit how the fashion feels in this particular issue. But there is also something about the 90s in general. is kind of a sad period for comic book superhero fashion. like this is the period in which all mentions of Janet Van Dyne's fashion design career just disappear entirely. Like this is the, this is our Jim Lee trench coat era, right? Where it's like, well, why do you need to be wearing street clothes or why do you need to show a difference between your civilian clothes and your superhero clothes? If you can just put that trench coat on over your normal little suit and go about your way. Like there's a little bit less like demarcation of like civilian life and superhero life in the way that there Mm -hmm. was, in 80s illustration techniques and it does come back but, it, but it's kind of a dark period in this in this 90s. It's fun because then I get to study and care about superhero costumes a bit more but there's less superhero fashion if that makes sense.
0: Well what do you think like what is the reason for that do you think like does it just have to do with I don't know like my, my knee-jerk thing is us wanting to bring more quote-unquote realism and that is in heavy scare quotes quote-unquote realism to the superhero genre in terms of you know making the costumes have jackets that make them look more like street clothes and stuff but also just part of like the extremeness of the 90s of wanting to over accessorize everything so I don't know if I have an answer to that but maybe you do like why do you think that that change was happening at that time
3: quite frankly when we do talk about these production constraints of being able to draw something on a dead I think that we are spending so much time making sure that we can see every little muscle bulge that Mm -hmm. we have run out of time for clothes. (laughs) Like, uh, and I do think that there's just some, some of the emphasis as to where we think we want things to go has shifted and it's just coming down to deadlines.
0: Yeah, I mean we do run into this when we're talking about this comic book issue by issue you know I want to read so much into all of these choices and someone uh, sent us a DM today I think talking about it was a tweet from Casey Jones saying that oh, I'm gonna get this wrong I'll edit this out if I get it wrong it was either him or Carlos Pacheco like their wife was having a baby as they were trying to do some of these issues so the work was super super rushed on it and I thought that that was an interesting behind the scene behind scenes detail because when we talked with Andy about. At issue 100 we're like well here we are criticizing the art and yet we're like everything is produced on a deadline people are doing the best we can and with the like oh, comics yeah. broke me hashtag going along i'm feeling especially <laughs> sympathetic to those constraints i mean i'm interested in the fashion a little bit just because casey jones does like those well and Pacheco as well they both do those like oversized 90s fashions which I very much remember mm-hmm. from being alive in that era and I'm like everybody just seems so cozy <laughs> like <laughs> everybody seems so soft they've got these big sweaters they've got these oversized button up shirts like I remember there seeing something going around on Twitter about the styling of Princess Di in like the new season of The Crown which I don't think has come out yet and being like well the shirts are wrong because they're putting her in like Ralph Lauren and shirts from now but they're not doing the boxy shoulders that they had in the 90s correctly and I was like yes 100% because I always want the boxy shoulder shirts and they're doing a little bit of that now like it's so funny like (laughs) Gap and Banana Republic have a shirt that's called the big shirt which is like totally like a 90s shirt with the expanded shoulders and I've been full disclosure loving it even though it's super stupid <laughs> but I don't know I but mean, I just read a comic like this and I'm like everybody is wearing the big shirt you know and like I really remember that look from that era and I really remember aspiring after that look like I wanted nothing more than to be wearing the tightest jeans or stretch pants and an enormous sweater or shirt and if I could have worn that every day of my life I would have felt like the coolest most confident most fashionable person in the entire world so when I look at Kitty's outfit in this issue I'm like that would have been an aspirational outfit for me at that age when this comic book came out, which I'm not proud of. I am not proud of, but like the high tops and the tight jeans with the like baggy socks and like the big shirt. Like I would have loved that look, but I don't condone it. (laughs)
3: But yeah, but it is back. And I do think that there is something about the fact that a lot of times we really notice like the temporality or like of fashion because it's not what everyone's wearing right now like I spend so much time looking at all of those 80s outfits being like that's fantastic because we're not putting clothes together in the same way but like this big shirt tight pants thing or is you're right like for us to just be able to walk into the mall and and buy the new version of the old version I'm probably not picking up on as much of this fashion just because it looks so much like what we're all wearing right now
0: yeah there's been a big 90s resurgence which i have mixed feelings about because i love the return of the big shirt i do not like the return of quasi psychedelic prints and like (laughs) cornflower prints and that kind of thing just makes me break out in hives when i see that kind of stuff (laughs) at zara but you know (laughs) just that's my age catching up to me
2: without looking like either yesterday or the day before didn't you like like just essentially tweet a picture of yourself essentially in this outfit (laughs) probably like where where Um, Like like I I I feel like the last time I saw you post a picture of yourself it's just you sitting there in the blue shirt that is eight sizes too big for you.
0: hundred oh, percent. I think I even had like a freaking yellow flower behind my ear in that picture. Okay.
2: Totally. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, just, I'm like, I'm like, just like, I'm like, like you're talking about this, like, oh, I would still wear that, but I don't condone it. And I'm like, aren't you
0: wearing that? <laughs> I, I clearly do condone it. <laughs> okay. I mean, okay. earlier today I was like wearing bike shorts and an oversized Club Monaco sweatshirt. So okay. yeah, I totally I'm condone
2: like, it. <laughs> I'm like, cause I'm not imagining this, right? Like, I'm pretty sure like the last time I physically saw a picture of you, it was in like literally exactly that outfit but you know, I
0: guess. No, I mean, I guess I condone it. I I don't know if it's a good choice, but I stand okay. by it as what I am choosing. <laughs> you know, it's fine. I mean, so I it wasn't a criticism.
2: It. I was just like <laughs> I was just like you were just saying, oh, when I was fourteen, and I'm like, or now? <laughs> like, no, I
0: I think I think I'm just now that I have a little bit of money to actually purchase the things I wanted so badly when I'm fourteen. I'm probably finally buying some of those things. I don't know. I, I am thrilled. Okay. I am thrilled by the return of some of the '90s fashions. Let me put it that way. Other of them can die in flames and I'll be perfectly happy. Mm -hmm. Like there are so many of those like square toed, like heeled sandals coming back right now. And that's one of those fashions that makes me break out in hives. I was like, why do you want your feet to look like cow hooves? It's a horrible fashion. It's like, we should never bring that back. I thought you were going to say that that, like
2: next, I thought you were going to say that like next week you would be wearing like, you know, a bustier and a trench coat with lots of pockets. (laughs) I mean maybe that would be the 90s Maybe.
0: <laughs> maybe I'm not going to go back to like going out tops. That's like another thing that makes me break out in hives, the going out top of like the early 21st century. Um anyway, this has gotten so off topic. I'm so sorry. I mean, was there anything Monica that interested you about kind of the fashions chosen for specific characters? I mean, we haven't had a chance to talk to you about the character who is Pete Wisdom yet. So if you have thoughts about your intro to Pete Wisdom, I'm happy to hear them.
3: <laughs> oh. Uh isn't it just the same outfit as John Constantine? Like, I, yeah, I, meet, you know, I, yes. I do, and I yes, do need exactly to say. That. As someone who had no context for Pete and had exactly one issue of Pete, I will immediately be white shirt, black tie, John Constantine of it all. I was like, not interested, boring next. (laughs) Like, and I can already tell you, like (laughs) dump, like dump him, dump him now. Like that's all I need. And and is that judgy (laughs) based on what he's wearing? Yeah. But I think that that's also what a comic book illustrator wants me to get out of an outfit is this representational ability to make a snap judgment about Somebody as quick as possible. So I need you guys to tell me if I'm right. Is he some version of a uh, dump him now? Because I don't like yes. his outfit. <laughs> no, he's
2: exactly. I, I think I think your read of him is 100 fair um, and accurate. Um, it is not what the author wants. It no. is. I mean, but it, the, the author um, is sees this as, no, he's the cool dude. He's me. Yeah. But he's also, you know, like to say that he appears to be basically John Constantine, you know, or Gambit or, you know, a dozen other characters that were exactly this guy. Yeah, he is that guy. And your read of him is 100 percent accurate. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the key, Kitty and Pete scenes in this because i keep alluding to how i want to go off on it and apparently i'm going off on all kinds of things today so let's just lean into that but um yeah i don't know monica as a first impression of the kitty pride pete wisdom relationship i mean you already said dump him now but um besides his fashion what led you to that conclusion based on how they interact here
3: oh sexism <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not great <laughs> yeah. Is he drinking beer at breakfast? How old is he? He makes her do all the work. He's just like, oh my gosh, it's so great that I have a girlfriend who's so much better at me in which again just reinforces the like, but what do you see in him? Like I, mm, maybe I'm feeling a little spicy to go off too, as someone who knows nothing about. And his name is Pete. For Pete's sake, yeah. Uh-huh. No, it.
2: she only dates Pete's. Mm-hmm. She he is he is one of her uh, one of her one of Kitty Pride's canonical four boyfriends named Pete. Yes,
3: four Peters, yeah. and one of them is Colossus. <laughs> one of them is Colossus, who we've already sure talked sure. about <laughs> as to huh? why he is the preferred Pete. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh he's your preferred p see that is, he a is my cake. preferred p of
2: well, the four yeah me too yeah no no me too of the four choices of okay. colossus spider-man and star-lord and, and wisdom if she's got a ch- if she's gotta go with a <sighs> <P. laughs> I mean i don't no. know that she has to go with a Pete, ultimate, but if go with a p ultimate
0: universe spider-man is way better that that yeah. at least was semi-enjoyable yeah. it
2: was a, it was, it's an enjoyable <laughs> read it's a relationship that has an ex- expiration date of high school Yeah. ultimate universe fine. spider-man it, and i actually really enjoy those comics i actually love that they're like no because they have something in common and they're the same age like that that makes sense and and the reason i'm talking about it is because i think it is an interesting take on the kitty pride character uh kitty pride in the ultimate universe unlike many other ultimate characters i think shares a lot of dna with kitty pride of the prime universe um uh, the 626 universe so I think that's interesting and I believe that Kitty in the circumstance of the Ultimate Universe would have dated Peter Parker so I'm actually okay with that but also it's a relationship that like they're going very different places and you know the Indian of american pie where we're all you know, we're all breaking up because summer's going to be over like that's it's got to be that they can't stay together there's no there's no world in which you know grown-up kitty is going to be with grown-up peter parker and so. i'm
0: okay with that but at least yeah, he's yeah. not calling her a prize and an object explicitly oh, the way pete is yeah. and we're expected to think it's cute <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, he's wisdom is awful. What you, yeah, <laughs> there's no, and it's the yeah, it's supposed to be. This book wants you to believe that, like, I mean, like, I get what they're going for. He has progressed beyond the sexism of "I will save you" to "Hey, it's pretty cool. My girlfriend kicks ass." Like, I get that this is supposed to be endearing. It is not. <laughs>
0: let me get let me get your take on it andrew a little bit i mean we all say it's bad but i mean what's going on here in terms of like the trope of like the guy who's admiring his strong girlfriend and we're supposed to think it's cute like what are your thoughts on what's going on here
1: i think his admiration for kitty is essentially a flex again this idea Mm. look kitty pride loves me It's almost like this author insert character was a misogynistic narcissist. You know what I mean? Like, like, like this is, this is (laughs) the red flag for (laughs) what happened in real life a decade later. Um, Yeah, no, there's not a lot to admire there. I like some of the stuff Kitty's doing. I I I like when she's punching the guy in the face and saying, hold on, this guy still got one eye open. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And and that maybe even shows specific um, Pete influence on her character uh, as a relationship growth point. I really like that. Um, otherwise, no. This this is exactly as Matt said. It's misogynistic, and it is not aware that it's misogynistic at all. Uh, and that makes it, I would say, more problematic.
0: Yeah, like they're trying to do that coupley moonlighting banter thing, and yet, uh, boy, it does not land for me at all. Because for it to land, we have to believe in this relationship in some sense, and it's just really unclear what Kitty is getting from Pete because I mean the way that we tried to justify it in the past is like oh well he treats her like an adult and this is Mm -hmm. something that is really important to her but he doesn't even feel like he's treating her like an adult a lot of the time because as much as like he does do the thing where like oh I'm going to stand back and let you take care of it he always slips up and doesn't do that initially right and just like letting her carry all the newspapers is not respecting her power it's just being a dick (laughs) like I don't know what that's (laughs) supposed to be and then the line I keep alluding to is like i don't have to butter you up i've already got you oh yes mr wisdom your charming ways and sheer elegance won my heart i didn't need to win you i earned you see you later Danny. <laughs> and like it's a little supposed to be a little coupley joke between them it's like holy shit if the man in my life said something like that to me <laughs> i would break my hand on his fucking face <laughs> like, what the hell is <laughs> i'm sorry but like that is such a gross thing to say it's not funny it's not cute fuck off pete (laughs) i've been i've been trying to be nice to him i've given him like a lot of time on this podcast we've read sexy pete wisdom fan fiction on this podcast but with this exchange i've had it
2: (laughs) the sexy pete wisdom fanfic was better this is this is i like and I think this is what Andrew was getting at. I like Ellis's take on Kitty in a vacuum here. Like, I think he's writing her well. I think this is... I'm, I've, I've always tried to judge Ellis on this book because, you know, because we had to deal with him for essentially you know several months here now i've tried to judge him on the caliber of the work not on you know the future a decade later right like so on the caliber of the work as i read it this is probably the worst he's ever written the character of pete wisdom it's just there's nothing here whereas i like where he has kitty i like that um I've always liked Ellis's version of Kitty as the, and I've said this before, it, I don't think it's Pete Wisdom's in, um, influence that makes her like this. I think she is a 20-year-old who was raised hanging out with Wolverine. Yeah. This is just what you get. Like, that's this is who she is now. <laughs> and she's going to be, you know, she's got an angry streak. Where, oh God, you're gonna do this. If you're gonna make me do this, then I'm going to enjoy beating your ass. And it's it's a different kind of anger. Like when Kurt gets in a fight, Kurt's like, Whoo, it's a chance to use my swords. Can we use my swords? Can we use my sword? Like, that's not kitty. Kitty's like, Oh, I have aggression issues that I need to work out, and now's my opportunity to break somebody's face. And that's, you know. Because she's supposed to be sweet and innocent and a kid, the fact that she's 20 here and doing this, I think that shows a lot of growth for her character. But I also like he is not helping here. And I don't mean just because he's not physically helping. I mean, because the conversation is just weird and awkward if I'm being If I'm being generous and not trying to call it gross, it's weird enough. Like, that's the best I can do.
0: Yeah, like, I'm not against, like, someone's cute boyfriend who stands back and lets the big strong lady deal with the fight. That can be a fun dynamic, but that's not the dynamic here. He's not treating her with respect. It's not. It's, like, played as a gross, misogynistic joke, and I hate it. Let's talk about some other things. I wanted to come back to the British American thing that I said we wanted to talk about, especially because it was the thing that you said interested you, Monica. So I'll come back to you with it. I mean, did any of that conversation that they have in this comic, like about mutants being treated differently in the British context versus the American context? I mean, did that interest you at all? Did you think there was like any narrative weight to that?
3: I mean, it's conceptually an idea that I feel like they're not doing a lot with or could be doing more with and i think the most it's hard because i i don't have a great sense of 90s uk politics necessarily to compare this to like i said yeah sure. uh i know a lot about our feelings about the monarchy during this particular time which is a bit different than actually talking about
2: our UK. being americans
3: yes uh the the american <laughs> fascination with the monarchy at this time or uk uh sentiment towards the monarchy at this time, uh, which isn't great. And because you are starting to see uh, a real anti-monarchist shift, but that's not the same thing as understanding politics, especially politics towards um, minority groups. And, and it's really hard because the best I have to compare it to is is the UK that I see now, which passes a bunch of transphobic legislature. And, and so this idea of thinking about which country is more progressive or which country is more violent or which country is more militarized is also a really strange like UK versus US dynamic when we talk about the thing that makes like England, England is that it used to be the largest world colonial power. There used to be a point in time when the sun never set on like the UK as the and I don't want to call it like the example of imperialism, but that's kind of what it is, right? Like, of of, you have colonized so many places. And to talk about one of these places as being more aggressively militarized than the other when it wasn't always that way, historically speaking, or the idea of you know, like, that's why we have a revolutionary war was, was this idea of colonial power or this idea of resisting colonialism. Like, it's, it's just a very interesting dichotomy that feels like it has a lot of history and has a lot of potential commentary to be having that isn't really one going the places that I would expect it to within the narrative also doesn't feel very connected to any of these historic potentials and therefore like feels like a, like a setup that's not going anywhere for me.
0: I mean, yeah, and it never really does go anywhere. I mean, it's something I've thought about a lot, you know, the potential to talk about the ways minorities are treated differently, and again, not necessarily better, but differently in different countries. And, you know, does the anti-mutant sentiment that shows up in US-based X-Men comics, does that extend globally? And sometimes it seems to, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, the depiction of Canada in Marvel Comics is wild and makes no sense, so that's not really... (laughs) (laughs) I know,
2: it's great. It's great. You live in the Outback. You guys live in the Outback.
3: <laughs> also and not even the like australian a...
2: outback just this wild savage land it's...
3: it's all a forest and you're all living off of maple syrup yeah it's <laughs> that and then
0: we have like a highly militarized uh military yeah. industrial complex government which i'm like i don't that's fine i mean again not saying our Department country is 80s. good but anyway we but go. yeah because <laughs>
3: wendy <laughs> yeah, it's not Dudley Do right, which is kind of what I want Canadian comics to be. <laughs> oh my
0: god. I, I was recently writing about the North Star coming out issue of Alpha Flight and just like revisiting the portrayal of Canada there with like a mounty superhero named Major Maple Leaf. Yeah. And <laughs> And just the weirdness there. There was like a panel from it where like I think it was Heather Hudson, like of Alpha Flight, and you know, she's saying like, Man, in Canada we spend so much on the military and not any money on the health care of our citizens. What a <laughs> messed up nation. And I was like, I mean, again, we do underspend on healthcare, but not because we spend on the military on which we spend nothing. I get that you're doing a what like this is just wild. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, very off topic, I'm sorry. But yeah, I do find Their potential in that storyline to explore, you know, how mutants are treated differently in different places. And we saw a little bit of that in very early issues of Excalibur, right? Where there was some more tentative acceptance of of mutants in the UK. And like Kurt felt that as like, you know, moving to the UK versus the US. But it's never been something that's been followed through on. I do like the continued distrust of the UK. Like it's like maybe the UK is better, but probably not. It's probably just convenient (laughs) for them to like us right now, which, you know, is fair. I don't disagree with that political critique. I don't know. Andrew, have any thoughts on that storyline before we do final thoughts? I think
1: for me, and this is hard to like frame for me because Ellis is is not American, um, but it, it does seem like in this time period, there's this idea of um, using an idealistic Britain or an idealistic, I mean, Australia in X Men uh, almost a decade earlier um, as a way to comment on this sort of. Um, american self-perception of itself as potentially losing its values and i think excalibur when we look at as you said the early claremont and davis era you can maybe see that a little bit because i i think they're very winking uh, about how what they're presenting is a simulacrum of britain not actual britain and i'm wondering if that's maybe in play here in a different kind of permutation but I, again i'm not sure and it's really tough to envision with ellis at the helm so i kind of don't know but that's something i'm looking for
0: yeah, I get that. Matt, did you have thoughts on it?
2: Yeah, my 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 look is a little different, but based on the same thing. Ellis is. I mean, we've talked a lot about the fact that the story was started under the story being Excalibur was started under the premise we're gonna do a UK version of the team and we will get a yeah. UK author Chris Claremont who technically is British but years, only... man yeah, but but he has no memory of being British but technically sure you know <laughs> um well Warren Ellis that doesn't apply to Warren Ellis knows what it is like to be you know an adult with an understanding of an actual UK, and I think that this story, for me, it exists in a time period after, but in, but similar to when when Alan Moore write writes Watchmen. I I think he is trying to within the confines of what Marvel will allow him to do he is trying to be critical of American politics from a British lens. So is Britain really better? Maybe not, but this is the, this is a Brit trying to say, oh God, you Americans like over there, like you're the racist ones, you know? And I say that because again, stepping outside the bounds of just reading this book for, for itself. I know he's leaving and I know he's leaving to go do Transmetropolitan and Authority and Stormwatch and like like the things that he's going to go on to do make me feel like he is he as a person has things to say as a Brit that are critical of American of America's geopolitical space. And does he get there in this issue? No, (laughs) but but I think he but I think that's what he's trying to hint at. I think he's trying to like lay a groundwork that he's not that he's going to continue, you know, for much of the rest of his career, to be fair, sometimes better than other times. But I think that's where his headspace is. And this is the time that he was thinking about it once again on a book that he'd already given his notice that he was leaving.
0: Yeah, and we'll see him revisit those themes and some later work, as you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go around and do some final thoughts. Give everybody a chance to circle back to something. What are you thinking about for final thoughts this week, Andrew?
1: Um, again, look, okay, two small things. I, I really like poor self-confidence. It makes me laugh. Uh, <laughs> and I love the splash page uh, on this comic. I, I think Casey Jones did a stellar job. It looks really cool in the way the reflection aligns um, with the um, foregrounded arm and tail um really nice illustration there
0: yeah it's a it's a good opener and i sort of like actually i'm looking at it now and i was like kurt's like wearing shorts and a shirt and the shirt is just completely unbuttoned right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: this
2: is the extra that he's going with <laughs> this is always the problem when when you pr- try to put kurt in blue because like he just very frequently the blue confuses you confuses your eyes where where, where are the clothes and where are the skin tones he has a yellow shirt on but no shirt underneath it and he's got yeah. on blue jeans Absolutely. Well,
0: I'm not. I'm not mad at that outfit. I'm glad I. Got no, the no, no. I
2: wasn't. I didn't, I didn't think you would, would be. But I'm, but it does sometimes create, you know, in the simple world of four color coloring, yeah, 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 it yeah. sometimes creates some some visual separation problems.
0: But yeah, I agree. Uh, it's a it's a fun opener. Uh, Mav, any final thoughts from you?
2: So I was gonna mention Spore as well because this is this is uh, the swan song of Spore. Remember Spore, guys? Spore's in this book, <laughs> who you know has been hanging around like. In the dungeon of this medical facility <laughs> for for literally, I went back and checked. He's been like, Yeah, this is issue 102. He's been here since the 80s, just basically hanging out, and now we're shipping him <laughs> off. And, and and I didn't realize it was sh- that long. Oh, yeah, yeah. Spores been around for a while. Uh Spores for Spores. First issue of Excalibur is Excalibur number 71. He's in 71, 74, 88, 89, and then then we didn't see him again between 89 and 95, and this is 102, and we're letting him go. And now we're shipping him off to somewhere else? Because Spore is going to be a big deal, he's not. Spore's going to appear in one issue of Magneto War, and then a couple issues of Magneto. It's like called it, like Deadly Seduction or something. Like and then we're, like Spore's got like three more issues left of comic book life ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like and 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 it won't be for like three years. He does not matter. He is as inconsequential in the future as he has been in the last, you know thirty issues of Excalibur that he's just been hanging out in the basement. Um, so that was weird. But I want to talk a little bit about and I've mentioned this on a previous podcast, but we got uh we got a tweet that I guess Anna can can kill us in in on. Oh, about I forgot Colossus's pants yeah, yeah, which is yeah. um I I mentioned briefly. Yeah.
0: Pod follower mentioned- uh, Angie who mm-hmm. sometimes tweets mm-hmm. at us uh mentioned mm-hmm. that they want to know what the deal is with Colossus's cutout pants and I know this is a mm-hmm. passionate topic of mavs and we have many years so we should talk about it.
2: And this is this is one of my favorite Colossus costumes. I love it. I know that it doesn't make any sense. I've worn spandex. I've I've done sports. I was a track runner. I was a professional wrestler. I've worn of spandex in my life. Spandex doesn't work like this. I don't care. It's cool. I like the cutouts. I like that he has full leg cutouts that like traditionally in, in a 90s comic might be reserved for a female character just to show off her legs. But no, we are showing Colossus leg in this outfit. For no reason other than the fact that it just kind of looks sexy and hot, and um, I think Casey Jones is very good at drawing this completely impractical costume. How is it sticking <laughs> to his leg? I don't know. Double sided tape? Don't care. How does Vampirella's outfit work? I'm okay. Like if, if I'm not going to question that, I don't get to question Colossus's outfit, and that's I mean it, it cannot work physically. It is just cool, and I love it. And yeah, I, I'm curious about Monica's thoughts on it, but um, but I've always loved it. <laughs> unapologetically
0: do you want to weigh in on the cutout pants monica
3: i do i really do (laughs) um here's the thing i have absolutely zero problem with the fact that superhero clothes can't work in real life and Mm -hmm. exhibit a for me is really these colossus pants like yeah. They're basically some version of, like, sexy, like, Thunder from Down Under chaps, like, yeah, the, and that's, and it's working, like, yeah, there's something about, like, I'm like, how does it stay up, and I'm like, Pink. obviously, the tension of having such tight muscles just keeps it where they need to be, like, it's, <laughs> there's something about, like, Colossus just being, like, flex i'm like static electricity like i don't i don't know i'm not a scientist science (laughs) is barely (laughs) real in these comics anyway like i just i kind of do just want to see a cool costume and objectively aesthetically speaking i love this one and i also love the ridiculous pointy like like stegosaurus like shoulder pads happening that are, like <laughs> yeah. I think that for me like a costume that I wanna see is a creative one that has Because this also does kind of feel like it feels canon. And there's something about, like, it's not actually getting in the way in terms of functionality, the way that, like, Kurt's little ridiculous arrow scarf is. Like, these pants still feel like Colossus could do all of the running that he would need to. So, yes, please, more assless chaps.
2: (laughs) I've worn chaps. These... Chaps don't work like this. Chaps gather in places when you move. These, yeah. stick, <laughs> these stick to thigh muscles. It's so weird and bizarre, and I love it. And also, assless chaps is redundant. All chaps are assless. If they had asses, yeah. they'd be pants. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bob.
0: <laughs> My final thought is not anywhere near as fun as that, but I'm also going to do a letter, but um yeah, there's like a miscoloring or mist inking on one of the panels of Kitty and Pete's conversation that creates a real surreal atmosphere. It's the scene where he's eating the breakfast disgustingly and the final panel on that page it's sort of three long panels and the final panel on that page at least in my version of the issue kitty's entire face is missing it's just a window so her face disappeared and it's <laughs> really <laughs> creepy to look at i'll put it on the website in case mine's people have
2: it mine's yeah, correct i have the digital version
0: <laughs> yeah it's not corrected in mine and it's really freaky i'll show it to you guys um anyway um we'll come back to you monica in case there's like a final thought that you had other than colossus's pants that you wanted. To, to circle back to or anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about the floor is yours
3: i actually did um and for me it's also the um the eating of of the breakfast disgusting well uh, i have two <laughs> takeaways one is apparently the only difference between the u.s and great britain is guns mm. <laughs> is that is that america has guns and and the uk does not uh the second one was i was surprised and took a lot of note of the special k cereal box actually that's happening (laughs) in that breakfast scene one because that's a very american cereal to be having kellogg's two the idea of it being like special k in particular is like the diet cereal right so it's like the Um. diet craze of the 90s which was like a little bit strange to not just be having like normal corn Flakes or something as as your your Kellogg's product placement, but also the idea of it even being recognizable product placement instead of like mutant O's or whatever they want to serve in that <laughs> bar that you know have happen to look like a generic cereal that, that you pick a purposeful reader familiarity and you draw it and you frame it in a way that is meant to be something that can be picked up on and And as somebody who studies clothing and fashion and thinks about the amount of times it visible logos or brands pop-up, it's actually pretty rare. So that was one that I don't have a lot to say about beyond like, huh, that's interesting. But but it's one that I would love to look more into in terms of actual brand and product placement in the 90s in these comics.
0: Yeah, a lot of great ads in this issue, I will say. Yeah, you know what that reminded me of? I remember there being a little bit of a fan letter kerfuffle about the, oh, like what is it, like 2004, 2005 Ms. Marvel series with Carol Danvers. And there was an issue where Carol and Jessica Drew are having lunch and they're both having lunch. Like, like proteinless salads and then the letter column people are like um they're huge super powered ladies they maybe need to eat a little bit more than that and, like, <laughs> and to, to their credit the letter of course. The, edit, the editor like apologized and was like you're probably right but still it kind of just reminded me of like just going to the logic of every lady being on a diet despite the fact that it might not make sense with their character anyway
2: i was wondering if it's just like for this one I, I wonder if the reasoning is just as simple as like maybe Casey Jones just really likes Special K and like that's Special the K is a box solid cereal. I mean I'm yeah, not. Yeah, hating it could on have been, Special K. right. Like there have been to- there's totally been times where I'm drawing something and the thing that they get is whatever is in front of me and at that moment. <laughs> I'm yeah. Like oh that's what I had for breakfast, so that's what Pete's having. <laughs>
0: I get it. I get it. Anyway, I'm going to close with just a very brief snippet of a letter from the letter column. This letter is from Sean Williamson and part of this letter, he says, by the way, Amanda Sefton is a fascinating character who has lurked in the shadows of X-Men titles for years. She has a lot of potential to develop into a strong role in the pages of Excalibur. And I hope you plan to cultivate that potential. What do you have in store for Amanda? I hate to tell Sean that he's going to be disappointed, but he is going to be disappointed. <laughs> but also the reason I wanted to bring it up is because we haven't mentioned this long. the pod before i'm going to be doing a cerebro episode i'm doing the amanda sefton episode i don't know when we're recording that but it's going to be coming up pretty soon don't know whether the questions for it'll still be open at the time of this recording either but get hyped for it regardless the way i teased it on twitter was a blonde lady who has a weird relationship with nightcrawler talking about a blonde lady who has a weird relationship with nightcrawler so Hmm. gonna gonna go deep on amanda sefton uh so you can look forward to that my pride broke it My rage broke it. This excellent knight, who fought with fairness and grace, was meant to win. I used Excalibur to change that verdict. I've lost, for all time, the ancient sword of my father's, whose power was meant to unite all men, not to serve the vanity of a single man. And we will wrap things up there, other than to say, Monica, thank you so, so dearly for joining us before we go, we need to of course remind our lovely listeners of your awesomeness. If you would like folks to find you online, whereabouts can people find you, and are there any past, present, future projects, anything that you would like people to check out? Of course, plugbox podcast again as well
3: I, I was going to say I'm sure that this is one that I'm hopefully not stealing from Mav, but uh, <laughs> please, if you want to uh hear more of my ridiculous opinions you should check them out on vox podcast
0: give yeah, us a little hype for some of the stuff you guys have covered lately
2: this is so hard
0: i know <laughs> i know <laughs> like,
3: i know what, is, what is did we channel? just
2: record <laughs> we just did pixar i just said <laughs> <laughs> you do that i'm like Pixar uh pixar was i sweet.
0: think at the time of recording yeah i saw you tweeting about your episode about elemental and the state of pixar
2: yeah pixar was was At at time of recording, Pixar is this week's episode.
3: And I will say, somehow I managed to work talking about the Fast and Furious into our episode about Pixar because I work how much I love the Fast and Furious into everything.
0: You guys did an episode about the new one, right? Yes, we've did. done
2: like three episodes about fast. We've done several Fast and Furious episodes. Oh. It comes up a lot. We've done at least we we've at least done episodes devoted to ten and nine specifically. I know, and it's come up a lot on other on other stuff. So
0: I I'm aware of Monica's fondness for it, but uh, yeah, I haven't listened to the well. I've only watched like one Fast and Furious movie, like Cards on the Table. So <laughs> I I did I did recently have Adam give me like a 15 minute synopsis of all of the movies just to feel like I was involved in the Zeitgeist. But um I don't know. We'll see whether I end Which up catching up watch? with that franchise. I think I've Which seen four. I think four is the only one I've seen. I don't know why. Four
2: is four is a good one. It's not the good one. Is that fair, Monica? Mm, like yes. there's, there's one that is canonically actually a good movie. That's number five. It's like almost accidentally is actually a good movie. I adore all of them. And just because I know I, and I'll have to send it. Monica, I've sent it to before. I'll send it to Anna because I know you will enjoy it. According to many, many people, the, I'd say the opinion of the internet at large is that the worst of the movies is number two. And I thought that until I saw a lovely video essay called Two by Two Furious, How Fast and Furious Two made me gay um and it made me it made me rethink the entire thing and oh my god the guy's right and it's it's absolutely it perfection and it's like oh okay this movie is actually good there's a lot of there it is it is a reparative queer reading of the second *Fast and Furious* movie, it's real good. It's
0: I want to, I want to see that. I want to see that. Send it my way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just thank you so, so, so much again, Monica. It was so fun.
3: Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this.
0: Next, we're wrapping up the Ellis era in an appropriately multiversal fashion in Excalibur number 103, Ben Sinister Reprise, featuring lots of kitties, Kurtz, and Piotr's. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out our fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes, plus our holiday specials. You can find those via our website or the Vox Podcast YouTube channel. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourselves a guest for a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywire.com. Where we've got some fun extras, and via Twitter at Gosh Golly wow where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week, plus more fun extras. Thank you, Andrew and Mav, for another fabulous combo. Thank you, Monica, for conversing with us. Thank you all for listening, and a special thanks to Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for a truly epic theme song. Play us out. I was like reading that, and I was like, I forgot to write puns for the conclusion today, <laughs> which is so disappointing. But uh, we're gonna have to live with it.